Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. May 3, 2004. Richard Wright had a great time with his son and a friend in Las Vegas, America's Sin City, the town that encourages departing visitors to leave their secrets behind. But by all means, take your winnings with you. And Richard did indeed have a little something extra in his pocket as he boarded the plane for the trip home to Akron. Once back in Ohio, the 53-year-old postal worker steered his Lincoln Navigator out of the airport parking lot and made a couple of stops to drop off his traveling companions. Then one more detour before home, the neighborhood bar he frequented on Newton Street. At just before 10 p.m., after a quick drink, and a reference or two to having won a little money in Vegas, he continued to his house in Akron's Goodyear Heights neighborhood. On the drive, he used his cell phone to call a lady friend, Sheila. They were still chatting as Richard backed his car into his driveway, as he always did. Then, suddenly, over the phone, Sheila heard gunshots, several of them, The next sound was Richard's fading voice. You have to call 911, Richard said with his dying breath. I've been shot. From Ohio Mysteries, the Akron Beacon Journal, and BeaconJournal.com, this is Unresolved. A look at the unsolved murders and disappearances from the greater Akron area. I'm Paula Schleiss, co-host of Ohio Mysteries, and helping with this ongoing series, which is covered in this podcast, as well as stories in print and online, are Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith and my podcast co-host, Steve Yoder. Now, Unresolved, Episode 12. Richard Wright. Richard Wright was born in Akron in 1950 to Juanita and Bradley Wright. He was one of three siblings, with a brother James and a sister Cora. And they grew up not far from where Richard settled as an adult on Hugolet Drive. Even at the age of 53, he was still close to the kids he'd gone to school with. As he and his classmates became young men, 
and began having families of their own. They went on picnics and football games and day trips together. Their children grew up surrounded by honorary uncles. Richard himself married, divorced, and was the father or stepfather to four children. In this tight circle of friends, Richard's bestie was Ricky Beard. They were so close, Ricky named a son after Richard, though the infant died at birth. Then Ricky asked Richard to become godfather to a second son, Rico. Little Rico is all grown up now, 35 years old. His godfather was murdered nearly two decades ago, but Rico still clings to the warm memories of a man who was such a big part of his childhood. Best memories that I have would be going to the Cleveland Browns games when I was a kid, before the Browns, the original Browns before they left. Um, Even though the team wasn't always that great, we always had a great time up there. Um, He was just a a wonderful guy. Um, And I just vaguely, well, I specifically remember him always giving me $2 bills. He was like a collector of $2 bills. So he would always give me $2 bills and to do things like run up the little mountain of rocks that was in the municipal parking lot and, you know, just little funny stuff. Um, man, I miss that dude. A, a group of my dad's friends who they all grew up with, we all grew up together amongst, you know, their kids. We were all raised together and, you know, we we're pretty tight. We went to a lot of family functions, but I, one of the best most memorable functions that we did yearly would be the Akron City Picnic at Geauga Lake. Um, that was always fun. Um, and he's one of the first people who I uh, got on the big rides with. Richard Wright was compassionate and courteous, Rico said, even-tempered and generous. Um, that's why I don't understand why somebody would want to take his life. I've never seen him like really upset or anything unless of course the Browns were losing or something but like he was just uh he's always smiling always having a good time and um that's that's the way I remember him I don't have any bad memories of him well there is one bad memory it was a Tuesday morning the morning after Richard was shot Rico was 17 years old a junior at Garfield High School the phone at the house rang I was just waking up and getting myself together to go to school. And my dad received that phone call saying that Richard had been shot and killed. And I was just in shock, like disbelief. Um, I went to school that day because I tried to, you know, but I didn't make it past first period. Um, it, It was rough. It was rough. I remember sitting in class and just kind of like staring off in space. And my teacher was like, Rico, you okay? And I'm like, I I don't really want to be here. And he asked what was wrong. And I explained that my godfather had been killed the night before. And he was already familiar with the story because it had already been reported on the news in the morning. And um, yeah, I got picked up and went home and just pretty much cried my eyes out.
Detective Dave Whitten of the Akron Police Department is one of the investigators who have tried to piece together the story of what happened to Richard Wright. In addition to being a full-time mail carrier, Richard had recently purchased a car wash and was trying his hand at being a businessman. It was the bar next to that car wash that Richard frequented. The bar he stopped at on his way home from the airport. He had just dropped off his son and his best friend, and we later learned that on his way back to his house, he stopped at a bar which is right next to, which used to be right next to his car wash at 1295 Newton Street. I believe it was called the 631 Club. The club it went under went by different names. It's not there anymore because it's been raised. But the club it was a there was a bar right next to his the car wash that he owned and we learned uh within a short amount of time we learned early on that he had stopped up briefly at the club um got a drink stayed there for about five minutes and then continued on to his home on hugolet on his way home from the bar he had called his girlfriend sheila shuttlesworth and was actually on the phone with her for quite a while and one of the things that richard would do when he got to his house on hugolet is he would back in his car. He was in a 1999 Lincoln Navigator. So he was actually on the phone with his girlfriend when he's backing into the driveway, and there's gunshots, and he tells Sheila, he says, you have to call 911, I've been shot. And then the phone goes dead. Officers responding to the call found Richard inside his Navigator, slumped over the steering wheel. The coroner would determine he'd been shot five times in the chest. Investigators recovered five thirty-two caliber shell casings from the scene. The residents of Hugolet Drive, just a couple of blocks from Goodyear Heights Metro Park, considered their neighborhood to be peaceful and safe. They didn't know what to make of the sound of gunshots that split the night. One woman who was a guest in the house next to Richard's said she and a friend were watching television when the pop, pop, pop interrupted their show. They took a look outside. They noticed Richard sitting behind the wheel of his car, his driver's side door open and the interior light on. But they still didn't suspect anything was amiss and went back inside. Moments later, the neighborhood lit up with police sirens and blue flashing lights as officers responded to Sheila's frantic call. Another resident, Jeremy Scott, who lived two doors from the crime scene, told a reporter the gunshots were terrifying. I was shocked, he said. I didn't want to step foot outside until I really knew. I've never been this close to anything like this. There was no eyewitness to the actual shooting, but someone did see a figure in the dark, likely the shooter, though they had no idea a murder had just taken place. There's a, a couple neighbors that were outside working on a boat, and they um, saw a person walking up to his driveway, and they saw a person walking back, but they didn't hear the shots because they said they had all this power equipment running trying to repair this boat, so they didn't hear the shots. And there was another witness who might have seen the killer's car as it raced away. There was a, a person, a neighbor on St. Ledger, that described a car to us that they saw 
speeding away from the scene um, at a high rate of speed, and it was described as a dark blue or black car. Police learned later that such a car had almost T-boned a crime scene unit as it was headed to the scene. Was that the killer? In the days to come, investigators interviewed dozens of people who knew Richard Wright or had seen him that evening. That's how detectives learned he had won a little money in Vegas. There was a, a person, a neighbor on St. Ledger that described a car to us that they saw speeding away from the scene um, at a high rate of speed. And it was described as a dark blue or black car. We did get a tip that um, he was bragging about his winnings. Um, the bar, the bar turned out to be is it is an interesting part of the investigation because some of the tips we got in had to do with him stopping at the bar and um, that robbery may be the motive and it may have originated in the bar. There's a couple different, I guess, uh, leads that we have as far as what happened inside the bar and what the motive for, if, if in fact robbery was the motive that would have been the object of the robbery. The one thing off about this theory is that nothing was taken. Whoever shot Richard did it quickly, then walked away without actually robbing him. There was no indication that he was missing anything. I think, uh, I, I mean, in my opinion, what happened is... Um, Whoever the shooter was panicked. I mean, there wasn't any, and we based that on, you know, there wasn't, you know, he was talking to somebody. So the shots rang out while she's still talking to, to Sheila. So Sheila didn't say anything about, hey, there wasn't any conversation. It was just, hey, I'm shot, call 911. And that's what's interesting about it is, you know, we did hear that robbery was, uh, you know, a possible motive, but then there was no, but why did somebody come up there and just start shooting into the car? That's one of the things that's strange about this case is, you know, we did have information that this was possibly a robbery, but he wasn't missing anything. Another theory was that the shooting might have had something to do with a debt over marijuana. That Richard might have owed someone, or someone had owed him. We had some information that, um, that Richard was involved in some drug transactions, um, and that uh, he may or may not have got some st- stuff while he was out in Vegas or people had heard. And one of the things that's important is what actually he had and what actually th- people thought he had. And I don't know if I could explain it much more than that, is um, there, were some, there was information that he had certain things that he may or may not have had. Um, I could tell you we didn't find anything in the in the navigator. There were no drugs in the car. No, but people if somebody indicated. if people start talking and and okay. think that you have something, um, you know that's a different story. So he I can tell you just what we know. He didn't. There weren't a significant. There weren't anything. There wasn't anything found in the car. Just some personal items. So whatever that person heard, if that was the motive, um, it, you know we didn't have anything to substantiate that we found you know, physically in the vehicle or in his house. Part of the confusion about whether Richard had been dealing marijuana was the fact that the car wash he had bought had previously been owned by a known drug dealer. And Richard might have inherited some unwanted baggage from that. 
I mean, our narcotics units were watching the car wash for drugs because it had a history of, um, in fact, the previous owner had been arrested for dealing drugs out of the car wash. So there's a lot of activity around the front of the car wash, and Richard didn't like the fact that these young kids were loitering out in front of the car wash because it was bad for his business. And also he knew that would draw police attention. Witten said that car wash also played into a third motive, perhaps a business deal gone bad. One of the leads that we did have was that he had gotten into an argument with one of his friends recently over a large sum of money um, through some transactions with the car wash. Um, He had uh, recently purchased the car wash and we had learned that he wanted to find somebody to run the car wash for him. And we had we kept getting this rumor about he had this fight with this guy, a, a close friend of his, over the car wash. Investigators sometimes face unique challenges when pursuing crime in the inner city, where people are often hesitant to talk to the cops about anything. Not so in this case, Widden said. The detective said everybody was willing to share what they knew. Everybody whose names come up in this case, we, pretty, we've, we, we talked to and interviewed at length, even the main people we consider suspects. Um, we, have, we got lengthy interviews with, with all of them. Um, the people's names that, have come up, that came up with tips, we were able to track them down and get statements from all of them. One person police talked to was a man who had once been married to Richard's daughter. Apparently, Richard had run into his ex-son-in-law at the airport on the way to Vegas, and it was not a congenial meeting. And they got into a heated argument at the airport because it bothered Richard because he was talking about it, I believe, on a plane. And it, it seemed like it, was a, it might be a, a good area to look at at first. Um, but when we looked into it, the, the guy said, man, it was just about, he was mad at me because I kept using his credit, I used his credit card, and he had never forgave me for that. But I think compared to the information that we got later, um, that kind of went down to the, you know, a lower part on the list as far as what, it, what a good lead was. Forensic experts poured over Richard's car, but found nothing helpful. There were no fingerprints or DNA left behind to help solve this crime. Nothing taken that might help identify a motive. All that remains is speculation. When pressed, Detective Whidden leans a little bit toward the idea that Richard either owed or was owed money, or someone had intended to rob him of his Vegas winnings, then panicked and ran. Whidden is pretty confident that whatever the motive, it began at the bar That's where someone clearly had the opportunity to follow Richard home and ambush him in his driveway. I mean, if it is a robbery, it was a horrible robbery. If you listen to Sheila, I mean, he's talking to somebody. He's talking to somebody when it happened, which is basically like an eyewitness, right? Although she wasn't there, but there wasn't any, give me your stuff, or I know you got it. Where's it at? Where's it? Not even where's it at? Where's it at? And there wasn't any, he didn't say anything. There was no you know, conversation going back and forth between Richard and the suspect. He probably never saw the person walk up on him because he didn't say anything. I mean, he, he just, I keep going back to what Sheila said when she's talking to him on the phone. He didn't say, oh, man, some dude's coming up to my car. What's this punk one or anything? He didn't say anything like that. And uh, 
you know, it, it just sounds like he was, I mean, he was truly ambushed. There are three or four names who have risen to the top of the suspect list, Widden said. And there might be more than one person to blame. We're pretty confident that there was a driver in addition to uh, the suspect, and there could have been other people in the car as well. You know, one of the people, one of the neighbors saw brake lights, and then the guy walk up, and then the guy walk up towards the car, and then it sped off. So I'm, you know, there could, he, I'm pretty confident that there was other people in the car. And that might be the key to solving this murder: the idea that someone besides the actual shooter knows exactly what happened. I'm hoping somebody who's in this loop that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, because there's a couple other people in this chain, but I hope whoever hears this will, will come forward and, uh, you know, ref- give, us, give us some fresh information on it. When Rico Beard lost his godfather, it was the first violent death he had ever known. Unfortunately, it was merely the first. In the years since, two of his best friends were shot dead in Akron neighborhoods. Rico has been more fortunate, his life spent in pursuit of his passion. After graduation, he moved to Atlanta to work on his career as a rap and R&B artist followed by a brief stint in Dallas. He moved back to Akron when his mom became ill and stayed after her death in 2019 to remain close to the family. He's still making music under the name El Dro and has added podcasting to his resume, a program called Live at Studio 225, where he and his partners interview area entrepreneurs and creative types. He also manages a cleaning company. It's a busy life, but there are quiet moments when the memories come back, usually good memories of a happy and loving childhood. Rigo said the final memory he has of Richard Wright was about seven months before he was killed. It was November of 2003, the last time they'd gone to a Cleveland Browns game together. The Browns won in a blowout. It was an exciting evening. That sort of shared joy that can only come after a hometown victory. But my memories of him are fond. They're all good memories. Um, his time here on earth, he, he spent it in a good way. He touched a lot of people. Um, so I... I think of him in a positive light. I just hate that he's not here no more, and I hate the way that he went out because that he didn't deserve that at all. Like Detective Whitten, Rico is sure there are people who know what happened. It's, it's a small city. News travels fast, and everybody knows everybody. So I'm pretty sure there's people out there that know what happened, but I doubt if we'll ever have a if anybody ever brought to justice about it. At this point, it's been how long? 18 years. Um, the it, it looks bleak. Um, I'm not very confident that it will get solved, um, to be honest. Um, I would like to see whoever did it 
be brought to justice, but at the same time, it's not going to bring Richard back. If you have any information that could help solve this case, please call Detective Dave Witten of the Akron Police Department at 330-375-2490. That's it for this month's edition of Unresolved, a collaborative podcast between Ohio Mysteries and the Akron Beacon Journal. Weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.